Hey everybody, this is Joe Swanson, and this is the uh, Joe Swanson Propaganda Podcast. That is uh, Smoke Serpent Jiu-Jitsu uh, featuring Raka. That's uh, an Eddie Bravo production right there. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu, that was uh, for Mike. Mike Maxwell. Mike Maxwell's uh, my guest on this uh, episode of the podcast. Artist and uh, guy who had actually apprenticed a tattoo and is uh, just killing it in fine art now. Um, Mike is an awesome guy. You can find him at, at Mike Mar- at Mike Maxwell Art. <clears throat> and uh, you can always find me at uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, find me there at OG Joe Swanson. Um, guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, I've been getting some good feedback uh, from you guys. I hope to hear more. Um, you know, please uh, shoot me a, a, a tweet or or something. Uh, hit me up on uh, Instagram or Twitter and let me know what you like. And if you're liking everything, uh, you're liking the podcast and the positivity, the stories and the bullshit, well, um, you can support uh, by coming out and, you know, getting tattooed by me. You can uh, uh, email me for, for appointments and where I'm going to be at in my schedule, uh, OG, at o, uh, Swanson at gmail.com. And... Uh, you can buy my poster. Um, uh, this is a gun poster, which is 80 bucks. You can PayPal Black Dagger Tattoo at gmail.com. Uh, 10% of that's going to be going to uh, Amsterdam Tattoo Museum. Uh, once I sell out, uh, it's 25 uh, posters is uh, what I'm produce, uh, doing for the first run. So, uh, hit, yeah, hit me up. If you got any questions or, or uh, anything, you can always shoot me an email uh, or contact me those other ways. Um, and uh, let me know, you know, if uh, you got any suggestions. Hopefully the sound is good and, and this shit is uh, um, good to listen to. So uh, Mike is a, a good dude. If you're not familiar with him, uh, my guest today, Mike Maxwell, is uh, an artist from San Diego and uh, had apprenticed to Tattoo a number of years back. Um, ended up uh, following his uh, fine art uh, roots and just... Uh, He's killing it. So check him out, MikeMaxwellArt.com. Um, keep listening to the podcast. Subscribe, rate, review on iTunes, and, um, you know, enjoy. So this is the Joe Swanson Propaganda Podcast, and this is uh, my guest, Mike Maxwell. And we are on. Uh, this is Joe Swanson, and this is the Joe Swanson Propaganda Podcast. We're out here trying to fucking uh, propagate some positivity and shit. Uh, me and Mike Maxwell, the man. Uh, this is the last episode. We did, I think, the first. We tried to do it first or second episode. First, I think, episode when I first put this shit out and I was trying to get it up and running. I didn't even have the back end. I didn't even know how to do it. I didn't even know how to get the audio up to iTunes at that point when we tried to record uh, the first podcast, but, uh, I got it up now and we're, we're fucking, we're doing it. Um, trying to do one to two a week and Mike, welcome back, man. Thanks for coming yeah, on, man. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we, uh, we get to record this one for the interwebs this time. <laughs> right. Absolutely, man. We should be really fucking good at it this time though. Dude, it's, uh, it should sound on point, man. I got the, I, Hopefully my game has stepped up. As long as I don't forget to hit record, I'm usually pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the that's the that's my other problem. I just got to slow down and uh, you know make sure my ducks are in a row and my shits together. How many shows have you recorded now? I have done uh, not including shows that didn't get put out because 
they were like ours that got lost or the audio was too fucked up or whatever. I think like 12 or 13. That's so, pretty good. Yeah. I, it, the, you start um, to get a rhythm around that time. Like around 15, 16, you start to be like, okay, this is how it works. Yeah. I think um, I'm really exploring like with – for those listeners who don't know, who haven't checked out Mike, uh, MikeMaxwellArt.com. He's got a podcast as also. Um, this is one of the inspirations for me starting this podcast is Mike. And uh, it's called The Live Free Podcast. It's available on iTunes. Uh, I would highly recommend you go check it out and, and – um, you know, listen to that. A lot of folks are listening to my podcast, like when they're, you know, when they're painting or uh, in the tattoo shop, when it's slow and shit. And, uh, you know, Mike's would be a good one to do that as well. But, uh, yeah, man, I think that like the first ones, even down to the little like fine tuning shit where how to label it when it shows up on iTunes so people can see what episode it is and who's on it. And, you know, the, that kind of stuff, I feel like I'm getting into a rhythm of and the production value of these things are, has gone up from the very beginning. Um, I have yet to still do a live recording um, with an artist like in the in the shop. The last one I did was with Ben Korn, a, a great tattooer out of Napa. And I guess the audio is not quite as good. I don't listen to him after I, I do the post-production work on it and shit. So... Um, but I'll get that dialed in too, man. It's just, uh, it's been your, fucking fun. Your cat sounds pissed. Oh yeah. Let me let, let me let the cat out. Could you hear that shit? That's oh, funny. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's coconut. Angry. Yeah. He wants it's my dog always gets in on my podcast. Yeah. Petey, right? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. All right. Let me let the cat out. Hold on listeners. Sounds hungry. I think. Yeah, buddy. All right. We are good to go. So, Pat, yeah, you were guest 79 70, on my podcast. Yeah, I think, I think somewhere 79. Around there, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was fun. We, uh, that was when I was like, that was a couple weeks before I even, um, it, the, all this shit for the podcast was still kind of in the works and I was still trying to figure out how I was going to do it and getting equipment put together and shit like that. So, yeah, it's come a long way since then, man. It's, uh, it's been a fun project to be to work on and I feel like uh it's getting to the point where I'm every day I'm learning new shit and I'm I'm able to you know work on other cre- another creative outlet you know which for me is cool you know I'm it's writing fun, right yeah I'm writing more for it and I'm uh and preparing the shows and shit like that and then just the interaction with the artists who and and guests that I have on is really for me, it's inspirational because I'm seeing their stuff. I'm looking for artists. And so I'm able to really like uh, almost critique to a certain extent uh, because I want the show to uh, be really, really good and have people that I support and are inspired by. So me to be able to like go through Instagram and really dive into it and Facebook and find artists who are who are pretty stoked. Like, I, dude, I found this guy. Okay, this I'm going to shout out to this guy. And I think... It's on Instagram. It's at S dot Farley, F-A-R-L-E-Y. And this was a cat. This is what stoked me out about doing this shit is he liked one of my pictures and I, I checked it out. And this is a tattooer that's in the middle of nowhere, you know, Midwest somewhere. I don't even know where the guy's from, uh, but he's doing fucking world-class tattoos. You know, there's no notoriety there other than he's putting stuff out there that's 
top quality, you know, and it was, it's inspiring to me to see that, you know, some guy that's not getting any name recognition that is not, you know, his friends are the people that are liking his shit. And, you know, maybe he's, maybe he's more well-known than I think, but I, I had never heard of him. And it was, a, it was really cool for me to see the fucking top world-class shit, you know? I mean, you put it up against anybody's shit out there and it's, it was awesome. You know, it's awesome to see. There's a lot more bad motherfuckers out there than we realize. It's it, it's because of the way popularity works, right? Like there's only seems to be a, only a certain amount of platform space up at the top of that popularity pyramid. Yeah, and everybody's working their way up it, and eventually sure. people get knocked off. And <laughs> well, or yeah, show up. yeah, you have, or they get knocked down to the legend tier you know, or, or put up on the legend cloud that, that hovers above the pyramid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's like the, the eyeball part floating above. Yes, absolutely. Illuminati shit, man. I believe in that shit. <laughs> I totally do. My, uh, my girl just picked up this cool, um, fraternity pin from, she went to, uh, this, uh, what is it? Like a vintage swap meet, I guess would be mm-hmm. the, the terminology to use. And it's it's it was from the forties, and she and I have uh, matching tattoos. The the uh, old um, I, I could show it to you, but it's the the hands. Uh, oh yeah, shaking it's the, hands yep. with the heart behind it. Like yeah, it's real old, tr- real traditional, traditional piece. Yep. And uh, so she found this little pin that had it engraved into the pin, the hand shaking. And then below it had a skull and crossbones. No shit. And then on the back, it had an M and a C, which is our initials. So she she picked that Holy up Holy shit. That's, this past weekend. Look, dude, that's some crazy shit that, um, like, I believe in destiny. I believe in, like, all that shit, you know, and vibrations and shit coming to you and leaving you based on what, you know, you do in your own life. And, and that's why I'm trying to do this shit, you know, put out positivity inspire motherfuckers, you know, make them laugh, help them out, you know, along the way and help myself out along the way too, you know, because that shit's going to boomerang back on you. And you had another story about that, which uh, I had, uh, and it's about you and Joey Diaz with the quarter and shit. I heard you say it on another podcast where you explain the story. If you, if you don't mind, explain that story. Cause it was some crazy shit. I mean, just how small the world really is and just, you know, whether you believe that this shit was real or not, it's, uh, man, it, it, it kind of, it was mind blowing to me that that kind of stuff happens. And it's just like that. I mean, that pin had an M and a C on it. What the fuck? You know? Yeah. Engraved in the back of it. Yeah. So explain the story about the quarter. Um, okay. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what all I talked about before, but, uh, so there, at, at some point, I guess Joey was doing he was doing the Beauty and the Beast podcast, and it was early on when they started. I guess it it was about two years ago now, because yeah. they just they just ended the show. This but, is um, uh, for the listeners who don't know. This is uh, at Mad Flavor on Twitter. Joey motherfucking Coco Diaz, uh, you yeah, know he's the best comedian um, and uh, crazy so, motherfucker. Like. At some point, he was telling a story about his mother, and it, it was around this time that um, my stepfather had passed away from cancer, and I I was actually getting ready to give a eulogy at his um, wake, 
or uh, whatever people mm-hmm. ceremoniously call those things. And uh, like I was trying to build up the like the nerve to do it. Like I, I can talk in front of people. I don't really I don't really care. But it was such an emotional situation. Something I'd never done before. Right. So. Joey ended up telling some story about his mother who who had passed away when he was um, pretty young. And at the time, there was some portion of the story that, like, like gave me some sort of energy, like you were talking about, like that transference of energy that, like, gave me, like, some type of strength or, like, okay, here's somebody who went through something, was able to do something else. Like, uh, let's figure out a way for this to work for me. You know what I mean? So, like... At some point, he was telling a story, which really has nothing to do with that um, preface there, but that was sort of leading into the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, he told a story about his mom would take her nail polish or some paint or something and would paint the front of the quarters that she would put into the pool table. Because she, she owned a bar out, in, uh, out somewhere on the East Coast. Yeah, in New York. And so it was, and it was that part was just a little minor piece mm-hmm. to his story. It, it didn't play a big role in it, but he was just, it was just something in mentioning in part of his story. And that evening, after hearing that show, um, I happened to go to a taco shop in my neighborhood or something and got change back. And the change that I got back, I was holding it. My girl was with me, and she was like, hey, look, that quarter is all red. So I looked down, and was like, holy shit. Like, literally, the day I heard the story and connected it somehow with, with the moment that he was discussing with the moment I was going through. And, like, as soon as I saw it, like, my heart kind of sunk a little bit. Like, that weird, like, yeah. like you saw a ghost type of feeling. Like, and and... Every time I tell this story, I also try to preface it with this could be total coincidence. There could be tons of people who have painted quarters red. Um, actually, what's funny, Felicia Michaels, just her son just had the same situation happen. He found a red quarter and then gave it to Joey. So I actually – I had met Joey once – no, I think the first time I had met him, I uh, – I, I held on to that quarter that I found, and it turns out it was a it was an old quarter too. About that same time is what you said. It, like it, it could have been within that period where his mom was doing that. The year before she died, I believe, was the date of the quarter, and it was like worn down. Like it wasn't like freshly painted red. It was it was red on the on the flattest part of the quarter. So the Washington and all the letters were worn off. It was silver, but only the bottom was still red. So it was like, it was painted a, a, a while before that. And so I gave it to him the, the first day that I met him. That's great, man. That's yeah. I, it just, uh, thinking about that kind of stuff about just putting, you know, as I have come from the very first episode that we tried to record that didn't work to now, and trying throughout that whole period of time to really put out, you know, the right kind of energy and, and shit with the podcast, you know, that's, or as I sat here and I was talking to you, cause we didn't talk about that last time. And it was, a, it was something that, you know, popped into my head. It was an amazing story. And like you said, it could be t- total fucking bullshit. 
you know, but you know, there's some Mexican guy down in Southern California that, you know, paints all his quarters cause he's got nothing else to fucking do. And you know, or whatever, anybody, you know, fuck it's, uh, but it's cool to think about and it's cool to gain positivity from and fucking good energy from. And you know what? That's something you can always think whether it's bullshit or not. It made your day better. Right. That's like, uh, we're, we're technology so amazing. <clears throat> like yesterday, you Instagrammed a photo of uh, the Tattoo Life magazine. Yeah. And I knew uh, Ben had been featured, Ben Grillo had been featured in this tattoo magazine, but I didn't know my tattoos were in there. So until you had taken that photo, I didn't realize. And that magazine's been out for a while. So I was able to, within an, like an hour, I guess, of you putting a picture on Instagram, I was able to find out that that was available, go to the store, pick it up, and have that issue, which I may have ne- never grabbed without sure. that sort of... Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy, man. Uh, it, it's pretty crazy how the internet connects so many people from around the world. You know, like I, the podcast has been doing good and getting a lot of listens and they've been from all over the world, you know, which is fucking crazy to me. I'm sitting here in the middle of fucking California, you know, two miles from a fucking cow farm, you know, that <laughs> right in the middle of this, you know, Lodi, California wine country. Uh, it's like a little Napa and there's motherfuckers listening to me, you know, to this, to us over in, Russia and Poland and Norway and the UK and shit, you know, shout out to the UK, you guys. Right. The fucking cunts. <laughs> the British get on my nerves. Why? Throw that out there. I don't know. Well, my only trip there, man, it felt like <laughs> I felt like I was like under threat the whole time I was there. Like I felt like there was a threat of violence at, at any point. It's very strange. Like I, I felt looked down upon there. Really? Yeah. Do you, because you were American or because you were tattooed? Well, well, because I was a hoodlum looking American, wearing a Wu Tang hat and shit. <laughs> I wish. I want to get a Wu Tang sticker for my bike. I nicknamed it um, Wu Tang Killer Bees. We on the swarm because it's just black. It's yellow and black. That's nice, dude. That's not. I, the little whoop W or like a little killer B for the front. Dude, you should have uh you should find some, I know you got some motherfucker down there that can just fashion that shit out of metal, you know, and uh, put a, like a Wu-Tang hood emblem, like where the Schwinn emblem or like the Huffy emblem or whatever the fuck kind of bike it is. Just put that shit on the front. Huffy. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm sorry, dude. I'm not saying you buy Huffies. I'm just... Wasn't that like the like the old school like that was the whack like Kmart bike that you got? Well, like back everyone else had the GT or like the Diamondback or whatever the, the fuck. Schwinn. Yeah, back in the day, I think. Now I could be total bullshitting here. I haven't Wikipedia this shit, uh, and you know, um, Huffy. I think early early on BMX was good, and then they sold out to they sold out to Walmart and shit. So now it's 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 kind of goes along with that. You know, Oh, you got a Huffy bike, you know, that's like, that's not the shit, you know, it's funny how that goes away as you get older, like that, you like, you don't give a fuck about brand labels. And like, yeah. for the most part, like, you know, you, you just, if you get a pair of shoes, you just get a pair of shoes that fit you. And there's some, 
there's some shit that I care about. And shoes would be one. Well, I don't know. I'm sh- I'm a sucker for shoes and t-shirts. Anybody wants to send me a pair of fucking shoes, ten and a half, and t-shirts large. You know, I'm I'm down for that. Those are two things that I fucking love. And jeans. I don't I'm know. Not you I'm can't a- love them, but you could find stuff that it doesn't. You could find like a pair of shoes that you love that don't have to be like a popular name brand. Yeah, that's true. I guess like you're how right. That's more important as a kid, like a teenager. Yeah. Dude, I had I when I was a kid, it was when the first Air Jordans came out, the black and red ones and the black, red and white ones, and I wanted those shit so bad, dude. And all I could all my parents could afford was the like the Payless version and, and that you know, it had uh it had a little like fucking jumping rabbit or some shit on the back instead of the Michael Jordan and you know what I mean? It was just God, I was embarrassed to go to school with those things I, on my feet. Dude, I was so ridiculous. At some point I convinced my dad to buy me the um the Nike uh, pumps, the ones with the basketball that pumped the air. Yeah, I had the Reebok pumps, dude. There were some guy's signature shoe. Is Remember what I'm talking about? Oh, they yeah. The, the basketball, like you could pump the air into the shoe. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had those, the Reebok version. Is that, I forget, is that some, that's the brand, whatever it was. But I, they were expensive as fuck. Yes, when they, they were. Like, it was like the very first pair that came out. And I convinced my dad to buy those shits. And they were fucking, they were like a size and a half too big. And I was like, fuck it, fuck it, because they didn't have my size. I was like, I'll just pump the air in there extra and it'll fucking tighten up around my foot. They were way too big. Like, remembering it now, like, I didn't give a fuck. They must have looked so silly on my, like, little skinny legs and tiny feet. You know what? Uh, you know what shoes kind of look silly, but they're still all right. Is Com- like like Converse All Stars. I used to wear those things all the time back in the day. Like if you search through my Instagram, you'll find a, a picture of me riding a, my. 1986 Schwinn Predator BMX freestyle bike doing like a little air on my ramp, like so far under coping. And uh, I had on my uh, red, my red uh, Converse All Star high tops with my pants uh, rolled up and pegged, and it was a shit man. What was the um like the Walmart version skateboard? It was Veriflex. Yeah, Veriflex. Veriflex. I had one of those motherfuckers. That was my first shit. I had, I had that. It was the it was the orange and black one that had like a as you looked at the bottom of it, it was like a grid pattern that came out and formed like a bowl. Like that kind of it was, you know, it had a little bit of a the the skateboards were not flat. They had a little, you know, it started getting with a little bit of the concave and that's when the shit started getting real. Yeah. I uh, I had one of those. I, mine was, I had some sort of fluorescent green situation yeah. going on. Fluorescent green was the shit back then. You know, my favorite board that I ever had was uh, a Christian Hasoy hammerhead uh, board. Whew. All those things are so valuable now. I for, know. Like, there's people that collect them. Yeah, I know. It's 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 amazing to it's amazing to see like those those things go for fucking money on eBay and shit. Yeah, rip. You know who who collects those is um Grime. Yeah, 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 like yeah. Stuff. Yeah, I knew, I I uh, saw that um uh, in the Tattoo Age thing he had, and I think I had seen that before, like way back on one of his websites. Um, he had that he was interested, you know, he'd bump you up to the top of the list uh, to get tattooed if you had some skateboards and shit that he wanted. I wanted that dude to do a back piece for me, but now I don't feel like doing any big tattoos ever again, ever. Dude, big tattoos suck. I've been doing a lot of big back pieces and shit. and Brutal. They're it's brutal for both the artist and the, 
the person getting tattooed. Yeah, I've been enjoying it as an artist lately, but you know, and I definitely want to get my back finished. It's I'm about 17 hours in and uh, you know, that we, I just actually talked about uh that with my last guest on the on the podcast, Jason Anderson from O'Reilly's Tattoo and uh he works with Dan, the guy who's doing my back piece, Dan Wyseff. So you look good. at it differently. So like as an artist for me, if I'm doing like I just finished this big 10 foot by 10 foot mural at this uh, design firm downtown. And for me, like I know doing something like that, that there I got to I got to attack it from a sort of different angle than I would a smaller painting. Same sort of processes, but I, because of the the size of it, I have to kind of work at it a little differently. And does it work the same way in tattooing? Do you think of it a little differently going from like, uh, let's say, like a shoulder piece to doing a big back piece? Yeah, for sure. Because you have um, with a small piece. Now the now the basics are the same. You know, you, you your design composition and and all that shit. But some of that has to be altered because you're going to have portions of the design. If it's just a small little palm-sized thing that I put on the back of the calf, it's just it's probably circular and it's on a flatter surface, so I don't have to worry as much about contours of the body and shit like that and where this, you know, eye is going to fall or where this wing is going to go or how it's going to fold. Um, but on a larger scale, like back piece for sure, and on a sleeve, like sleeves are complicated fucking things, man. And so, yeah, you have to approach the principles are the same, but you have to tweak them based on the three dimensional surface that you're fucking with. So, and the size of that, you know, how much contour and shit, oh, it's super, it, it, it's, it's an interesting fucking process, man. I've been getting into it more and more lately with my, with my drawing and, and with my art and, and just really trying to focus harder on, on breaking down why I've been doing shit the way I've been doing it for so long and, and, and then trying to learn new shit from other people and breaking that shit down to the fundamentals. I don't know. I think we talked about it on your podcast, man. I was at a spot when I did that where I was like really not inspired by my art. I'm still struggling through that shit. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's something that I think breaking things down to the basic fundamental of it. I don't know if you do that with painting. Do you do that with painting? What? Just breaking it down to like really, really simple. You know, um, where some of your newer shit, have you gone through periods where like I see your new shit with the really like weird um, faces uh, made out of different colors and stuff like that. Like that's not basic. That's pretty. I mean, it's basic shapes, but it's but it. do you ever find yourself just having to go back to wherever you first started like. For me, it's just a basic set, basic sheet of flash laid out correctly with like, you know, three to five colors and super simple. I I find that I mostly, if I jump back to simplify things, I do that. But I think I do that um, sometimes out of boredom, you know, and not out of boredom like I'm bored, I don't know what to do, but like... I hit new subject matter so hard that I, I kind of get overdoing them. Like I, my attention gets lost eventually. I'm super ADD. So it's yeah. like I go on one pathway with the artwork for a long time. And by leaving a certain like maybe simplified version of something alone for a while, I can go back and it becomes a new thing again. Yeah. You know, I don't I, know if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I so think it so makes... right now I'm, I'm actually doing a bunch of portraiture again, like 
line work portraiture that I haven't been doing for a while. And it's like a brand new thing and feels good again. So like sometimes I got to leave things alone and come back to them and well, to maybe, remember how much I love them. Maybe know? that's maybe that's more what I guess I am um, talking about as far as um, coming back to something or breaking it back down to the basics. Like I'm just going back to something that's a little more s- maybe simple or it's easier for me to process through because I know, did it for so long. That reminds me of something. Sorry to interrupt you. That's okay. Uh, I've noticed that sometimes there's a delay in people, in the viewer's appreciation for a certain style and and type of artwork that I do. Sometimes I feel like the work that I make isn't going to be as appreciated until like five years after I make it. And this is only something I'm able to start realizing now because I've been doing the, you know, fine artwork for over a decade now. So I I have a little bit of frame of reference to see it now. Like so, that's kind of another thing of what has me drawn back to sort of jumping back to what I was doing five years ago. Do in th- that, like th- that, I I'm noticing a different appreciation for it now than there was when I made it. Yeah. Do you think that there's that has to do with just uh, like, let's say, what, get back to the Internet, man. You know, your notoriety as an artist has increased over those five years and people are getting psyched on your work now. And then they're looking back and, and trying to find your older shit. And it's almost more of a nostalgic thing where they're like, fuck, look at that shit he was doing five years ago. You know, because they're familiar with your current work, it becomes more of a, a, a nostalgic like. Uh, thing to look back and be interested in in your old work and which is awesome because tattooing I mean you you have been around tattoos for a long fucking time you know tattooing is a little bit different I mean you can have I love looking at that shit from the 90s that you know grime and and fuck Jason Kundel and all these motherfuckers that were in San Francisco Jason I don't know when Jason came to San Francisco but like um, all the guys from Primal Urge, Marcus Pacheco, and and you know I say San Francisco because it's a frame of reference where I've came from. You know, um, you know you. It had, was a weird little Renaissance period there, dude. It was fucking crazy. I feel so fortunate to have been a part of like the bat. You know, kind of that part of it. I came right after kind of the heyday of Tattoo City, like where Chris Kahn and Eddie Deutsch and all those guys were working there. And I came around the time when Eddie opened up Two Two Two. And around 2000, a little bit before that, like 99, 2000. And uh, yeah, it's fucking cool, man. You you uh, actually, some of the listeners may know your history. Some of the listeners may not, but you apprenticed um, to tattoo. Where did you do that at? Um, that was in downtown San Diego. Uh, and that was, uh, it was a weird period. I How old were you? I was 19. 20 it's 20 19 i think some pre-drinking no 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 it was later than that i lie i lie uh it was like 21 22 right right around like maybe 20 21 22 era it's so hard for me to remember could have been 35 uh maybe 33 i can write it down (laughs) yeah like and like timeline it. It's hard for me to remember where where everything sort of fits in. I like try to block it into like time periods <laughs> of my life. But yeah, it was it was 
what was that fucking like, dude, being that young apprenticing? And how was it back then? Because you fucking... Dude, I can't even imagine what it was like to be 21 or 22 now. It <laughs> seems like I felt like I had my shit so together. And looking back now, it's like, you fucking must have... You were half retarded, 21, 22. <laughs> Still a child. And you don't realize... You, there's no way to realize it until you're through. But so I, I, I started... I, it was funny. I actually I was doing art already. I had gone through. I had worked for Shepherd Ferry and did like the art and design thing. I took off and went and lived up in Mammoth Mountain and did some like winter snowboard resort living, like eighties movie shit. And I came back and I had already had like a major love for tattooing. Like I had. I was getting tattooed by Mike Giant already. I think in '99, I got uh, I started getting tattooed from him. So I was kind of where was he at at that point? Where was he up in San Francisco at that point? Yeah, or? he was in San Francisco at the uh, Everlasting. Damn. Like I said, my memory is was it uh, Everlasting Tattoo? Yeah, Everlasting. Yeah, um, which I've uh, we just put out a documentary about he and I. We didn't do it. Somebody else did a documentary about he and I, and we. I, there's a photo of me getting my first tattoo from him. We're all baby face and neither of us has barely any tattoos. Wow. And then at the end of the film, uh, he's tattooing me in the same spot, basically, uh, a decade later. Wow. We're all covered and look totally different, all old and gray and shit. It's funny. Wow. That's awesome, man. That's cool. Yeah, um, but what was it? What were we oh, just about? Uh, talking about the, oh, the, apprenticeship, the apprenticeship and so. shit, man. Like, I want to hear some because you told me before that it was a fucking crazy time at that shop. I mean, just the way that I got the apprenticeship was pretty bizarre. Uh, I had seen an old roommate at Home Depot who was getting into piercing. He, he was into jewelry making and was into a lot of like tribal shit. So he had started apprenticing at this shop to do piercing. And I saw him at Home Depot. I was like, hey, man, what's up? I was, you know, just shooting the shit like what he'd been up to for the last year or whatever. And I had been thinking about tattooing because I needed to make some money. I thought, well, here's a profession that I could be doing what I want. I have some sort of level of uh, individuality. I can get paid a decent amount of money. And I, I just like to draw. So, you know, it, it made sense to me. And at that point, I really loved getting tattooed, which I still do. I just don't like getting – I like having tattoos. I just don't like getting tattooed. So he's like, well, hey, I'm I'm doing this apprenticeship. Why don't you – I'm with the owner of the shop right now. I, I told him I was, I was looking into tattooing. And he says, well, come come meet the, the, the shop owner. Like, all right. So I go over there and I meet him. And he's like, yeah, come down tomorrow and you could start apprenticing. <laughs> just like that. That was fucking easy. And I think I explained, I knew sort of that most people go and pay a, a significant amount of money and get set up with a shop after they've been looking for a long ass time. This sort of just kind of fell into my lap on accident in Home Depot. Well, and the the one thing about that too is, I mean, no apprentices, apprenticeship is the same. I mean, you got to understand that first. And there's some guys that, yeah, pay five grand or whatever to get apprenticed for two years and, and that shit don't work out or it works out. Or there's some guys that just get tattooed by a motherfucker a lot and they develop a friendship. And then that guy's like, yeah, I would love to tattoo. And it comes about like that. Or, you know, you got a fucking friend who's down there 
learning to pierce and he vouches for you essentially like hey let me introduce you to the shop guy you know the, the owner of the shop like that dude is essentially vouching for you and it came about so that's fucking it's pretty fucking wild man yeah so i ended up i went down there and it was a rough shop man like it was so it was 2000 yeah it was pre 9-11 so like everybody in there was pretty thuggish um the shop Prior to the current, the owner that that I apprentice under, it was a, a Hell's Angel shop, um, for a long time. And dude ended up selling the shop, but I, I want to try to do this sort of incognito and not. Well, yeah, not- you know what? Just uh, what I would be interested in hearing about, man, is, I mean, coming from that history, you got to have some crazy fucking stories. Well, you yeah. Know. Like for instance, like when I first started there, there was another apprentice there who had been there for at least a few months who was like the homeboys of everybody. Mm-hmm. And when I showed up, I think it looked like I was trying to like take over his spot or something, which I had no intentions of. Right. Like I was just trying to learn this trade. But so there was one dude. Everybody was always like really quick to fight around there. Like there was all this like machismo that was like testosterone just blowing up at any moment. Like there was always a lot of like inner turmoil, among, <laughs> like inner tension among everybody. Right. Which I mean, it's kind of a challenging environment. You're all sort of striving to get the next tattoo or whatever. Um, so I could see how there could be a challenge. But like, so. A lot of people don't realize, I think, in I don't know if it's the same now, but like, so for instance, this guy who worked in the shop who later got fired, like, I think within the month that I was apprenticing, like, this bump, like, all sorts of downtown San Diego at that time, too, it was just sort of getting ready to be gentrified. It was right at the brink of changing. But before that, it was like hookers and, and heroin addicts and, fucking crackheads and shit so and it's still like that it's just pushed out to the outer edges but they would come by and like walk into the shop and and talk shit and so like the one guy who was like you need to go kick that bum's ass right now (laughs) it's like what really like this is what tattoo apprenticeship is i gotta go fucking kick a bum's ass because he said something which they're all out there fucking with them right because everybody it was like one of those tattoo shops where all the fucking hard-ass dudes just stand out in the front and like mad dog everybody who walks by just wanting to fight it's a busy street or, you know, like hollering at the girls that walked by. We had seats out there. There was a smoke shop right next door. So, like, there was a smoke shop scene. And it was just, you know, at the time, it just was, it, it was some, I enjoyed it and I, I learned a ton because what I learned in that year that I apprenticed, I still use to this day for making art. Okay, first of all, I want to hear, did you kick the bum's ass and how did that end? And- no, no, no. I, I went out there and talked to me to fucking getting the fuck out of there so that I, I one, I wasn't going to touch the dude. He was <laughs> filled 
he like covered in his own piss and disgusting. And there was, a, and I'm not the type of guy that's just gonna go fucking beat somebody up for no reason. Like I have, I have empathy towards people. I don't just attack them for being a hobo. You know right. What I mean? or because somebody else tells me to do. In fact, that's something I've I've fought against my entire life is is doing things just because some sort of perceived authority figure tells you that that's what you're supposed to do. It's, and throughout my life, I've actually done the opposite and challenge those people more often than do what they tell me to do. Like I don't even when at the, when they tell you to stomp your feet and clap your hands at concerts or or sports things I, I don't even do that shit right don't you mike don't you fucking dare send me a macbook pro you motherfucker <laughs> i you know what dude if you send me a macbook pro i'm gonna kick your fucking ass <laughs> try it <laughs> yeah and you know what now i wouldn't fuck dude you got jujitsu skills more than me you know i would fucking love to roll though dude someday we gotta i gotta get down to san diego and we gotta fucking roll no gi though fuck the gi why do you say fuck gi? Because I've never, I've only rolled like for probably a total of six to eight months, really inconsistently, inconsistently with the gi. So, not fuck the gi. So here's, here, here's what I mean. I say fuck the gi first. Let's roll no gi, and I'll get my fucking chops back up a little bit, and then we can throw the gi on, and you can teach me some shit. I'm down, man. I uh, I just got into class yesterday. Sorry about that. Hang on one sec. <laughs> My wife came into the room and said, if somebody's trying to give you a MacBook Pro, you better not kick their ass. <laughs> so you got... I just got back into class this yesterday. It was my first day back in two weeks. I've been the motherfucking ringworm. Ugh. Yeah, that sucks. Have you... Uh, you take the acidophilus shit? Yeah, but when I got it, I was lagging on my supplement. Yeah. Take sometimes yeah. It, like it. It depends if I I have a tendency if I'm not eating breakfast at home if I'm just like grabbing some Starbucks and like a fucking bagel or something I'm not taking my supplements. I'm trying to get back into a rhythm. Like like I said, I go like it's the same thing with art. I have like patterns like. I'll I'll fucking eat really good for a while and then I'll say fuck that I like ice cream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dude, I think everyone's the same. Like uh, except those there's some motherfuckers who are super disciplined and I don't know how they fucking stay on a path, man, for fucking their whole life of just being good with they're fucking working out and they're, you know, eating right and they're I don't know. It just seems to me like I do that shit the same as you, man, for a little while. And then I fucking go, ugh, fuck, I just want Jack in the Box, son. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. But, um, okay, so let me ask you this, dude. Uh, uh, I do want to grapple with you uh, at some point. That'd be fucking cool. Uh, what, what, let's talk about the, the gi versus no gi. It's just a matter of experience. Yes, absolutely. 100%. I fucking uh, say that it's again. A- in, in the jiu-jitsu world like the 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 no gi guys are very anti-gi i think there's a lot of gi guys like traditional gi guys that are very anti-no gi what's well, take- i'm i love both i like i try to get a, a 50 percentage like 60 40 about a 60 percent gi 40 percent no gi yeah 
Uh, I think you're right. I mean, I love them both too. You know, I, I when I did the gi, I like the gi. It's just a different ball game. You know, it's more methodical. It's a little more. Uh, I mean, it's less. It's less speedy. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of more transitions in no gi because you don't got the hook. You know, you don't have those handles and shit that you're working with. So. I like the no gi. It's just, yeah, it's absolutely 100% experience, you know? Um, and I gave you my gi, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which I'm eternally grateful for, man. I, uh, I've gone through a few gis since then. But. Yeah. Fuck yeah, man. But let me ask you this. You were saying that, uh, so you talked this bum. I want to get back to this bum story. I like, I don't think we finished this bum story. You talked the gi, or you talked the gi, uh, you talked the bum. Listen, guy, you should try jujitsu. Yeah, no, I wish I was doing jujitsu back then. It would have been so. It's it's such an amazing tool to uh, to deal with society in a different like brain functioning way. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you right? talk the guy out of. You're like, dude, I'm gonna kick your ass. I, I don't want to kick your ass. These guys are trying to get me to kick your ass. Uh, you need to just bounce. So he bounces, and then did those motherfuckers give you a hassle, or how'd that play out? Yeah, I think uh, I probably got my balls broke for a while. And it's one of those things like it's you when you're this apprenticeship was like, okay, you're going to be the bitch boy and do what everybody says. Because one, you're cleaning everybody's equipment, you're you're setting up all the stations, you're I'm the first one in there cleaning the floors in the morning and the last one out cleaning the floors at night. You know, like it got to a point where like I was doing errands for the shop owner that were like his like house errands like it was no matter what the job was you had to do it and not only that but you weren't getting paid right so you were at this point were you just living off savings or what i mean just kind of same time i'm you know i'm making art this whole time sure so at, at that period in my life i was selling a lot of stuff on ebay actually like there was this art collective on ebay that was uh I'm still uh, friends with a number of the people that were in the collective at the time, but there was this pretty big support uh, for selling art on eBay. And I was, I was making probably like a thousand dollars a month, maybe while doing the apprenticeship, so that I was making, you know, maybe around there, probably a little less on slow months or yeah, whatever. Yeah, enough but to I, enough to live and pay rent, and grab a burrito. Time, rent was really cheap. Um, I think there was a couple, uh, there was a period of that time. I think I was living at my ma's, like sleeping on her couch for a little bit. Um, and then me and my girl moved downtown and had a really cheap apartment. So like it wasn't very expensive. So I was able to sell enough work to do all those things, which is kind of still the game to this day. Like, except without the eBay, I'm just selling stuff directly to people. Yeah, that's you know. cool, man. Yeah, you've been I, doing, you've been doing some cool shit lately, man. I, I, uh, I have. I'm fortunate enough to own one of your um, smaller pieces, and I, I love it. Um, I can't wait to uh, get into a house and and uh, be able to put it up on the wall or have it in my studio and and uh, shit be able to look at it. But you're doing some cool shit. Like how um, how has it changed from? You say you use some of those lessons that you learned in the apprenticeship. Like, what kind of lessons did you learn back then, dude? Like, what did you take from that? I think just the the sort of prep to making art, um, the way people. I feel like a lot of the techniques that I learned 
for prepping artwork for a client. Uh, count, so I do a lot of illustration and design work for people. And I think the way that I saw the way a tattoo artist deals with a client in terms of setting up what they want compared to the type of art that they make, how they go about making it, how they start to research imagery and find things that maybe that they don't draw every day and figure out a way to incorporate them into their style of work and present it to somebody in a way that's going to make them happy and still make a fucking really cool tattoo, you know? So a lot of times when I would paint before that, it was very um, just uh, like uh, free flow frame of thought, just whatever comes out happens, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's a difference. An abstraction of thought, just, okay, I'll play with whatever comes out of the hand. I'll just start drawing and turn into what it is. And that was fine. It was fun to do. And I still do that, you know, to this day. But I also learned that there's other ways to go about it. And I think that it was that sort of design, layout, prep, presentation, and final execution that I I still, that I use now today. So there's a lot more pre-thought to the things that I make now. What's fucking crazy for tattooers. I mean, yeah, we're making our own art and we are living off of our, off of art. Um, I think one of the only times you get to really explore is when you make, when you're making flash or you're making a, a painting or, or just sketching, doing a shit like that, because every fucking person that comes in there is a consumer for a product that's a tattoo and they have certain elements that they want it. They don't just come in and say, now there's some guys that have positioned themselves and, and branded themselves well enough. Um, you know, I use all these fucking advertising words, but they fucking hustled enough to get their name out there with, and it's represented with this particular style. And so that's what people come to them for. A lot of people will come and say, I just want a panther. You know, do whatever the fuck you want. And it might be a panther, you know, eating an acorn and they're going to be stoked on it. You know, it's, uh, but most of the time, street shop style, fucking being in a shop where you're going to have that sorority bitch come in. You're going to have that, you know, uh, and not that she's a bitch. Come on, guys. I'm just kidding. Fuck, you know. Yeah, they might be super nice. Um, you're gonna have that, uh, you know, guy coming in for that tribal armband because he's super yoked, and so that, that might be another part of the apprenticeship story to add to that too. Is so once I I got out of the apprenticeship, I finished. I not got out of it, but I finished it and started tattooing in the shop, nice. and all the tattoos that came into the shop that nobody else wanted to do, all the sorority bitch tattoos and the tribal armbands, those went to me. Right. Well, and you know what? That's, I think a lot of times in the beginning of somebody's career, that's the shit that is, that should be coming to them because what that does for fucking you is you got to fucking be on your game. Like a a podcast with uh, Jojo Ackerman, he talked about it. You know, I, I, yeah, I go up to the counter, I put game on them. You know, I got to put a little game on them to, uh, to, um, sell them what I want. You know, there might be, it's going to be somewhere in between what they want and what I want, you know, and it's a hustle. Hold on. My wife's trying to give me, 
messages again right here. No big deal. Hey, you know what? Come around here and say hi to Mike. (laughs) Amanda, come and say hi. Hi, how are you? Say hi to all the listeners too, everybody. You guys got a whole crew there. Yep, we got uh, Amanda and Natalie and uh, the cat and the dog are probably around here somewhere. So Wonderful. All right, girls. See ya. Um, but no, you're right. And, and at, you know what? At the time, as a dumb, like I said, 21, 22-year-old, I saw, I saw a life of doing those shitty tattoos over and over and over again. Like I didn't want to I didn't want to be in the shop. Are you still talking? I had to sh- I, clo- <laughs> I had to close the door, man. I uh I uh, I I didn't want to I saw myself being in the shop every day doing those fucking silly ass tattoos, not with as a dumb 21-year-old not having the foresight to realize that you work your way up out of that and you have to do all those shitty tattoos first. Like I had there was this one chick who used to come in, she got like her her eyeliner done in the <laughs> shop. By tattoo guys, right? Dude, like, that's you know, some fucking like crazy shit. That's there's, like, there's beauty places that will do that sort of shit. Came in uh, a bunch of fucking roughneck ass tattoos, and she would always come in with the emblem. Uh, emblem. It's like a a uh, numbing agent. She worked in the medical field somewhere <laughs> and would yeah. jack the these packets of uh, a numbing agent. Emblem, I think it was called. Yeah, I think I. Yeah, I've I've had people come in with that shit. But what a lot what people who probably don't know, if you put that shit on and it wears off by the time you're still getting tattooed, it feels twice as bad once it wears off. Like the pain doubles for you if you would have just went through the pain the whole time. So there was this chick, she would always come in. One time she got her eyebrows done and she had this emblem across her forehead with saran wrap wrapped around her fucking face to hold because you have to kind of tuck it in there and make it stay right it's got to be on the skin like uh uh, just kind of soaking in for a little while to make it work right she had fucking this white cream all across her fucking forehead her shaved eyebrows across her or maybe she didn't have any eyebrows at all i don't know and with the fucking saran wrap around her face and so, like, a hole poked in the mouth so she could breathe. No and shit. She didn't just put it over her eyes and chill out. She I, fucking put it around her face. I'm exaggerating because this is how bad the chick was. So nobody wanted to tattoo her. She can, and This is a dark black woman. And she came in one day and was like, hey, I want a big tribal thing, across, a big tribal tramp stamp across her back. So she was dark as a motherfucker and she had stretch marks on her back too. Ugh. So stretch marks are scars. And maybe people don't know that either, but in, and trying to tattoo on scar tissue is no good. It, it's not, it's not the best of surfaces. So, and she jumps. So she emblemed up her back <laughs> and was jumping like crazy. So this shop had the most horrible lighting too. So like it was like office bright like schoolroom lighting and I tried to do this tattoo on the on homegirl's back and I I have no idea how much of the ink went in. I could tell that her skin was raised cuz I couldn't see that all I could see of the stencil was when sometimes stencils they shine people, 
it like a glitter, like a metallic glitter. Yeah. That's all I could see. I couldn't see any of the purple. The purple disappeared like right away. Dude, it's and so. As a new tattoo artist, you're wiping away the stencil more than than you should be. You know, it just happens. Like there, you smear black into your stencil, and you're like, "Oh, I'm ruined." Like it was awful. I would I would pay twenty bucks to see that tattoo now, just to analyze it because i know i fucked up a couple people i'm sure oh dude i you know what man i'm still doing this 17 years later and i've fucked up some people guarantee anybody that's tattooed has done some fucked up tattoos for any yeah. period of time or yeah. what's that tattooed the shit out of myself too yeah i mean it's it's uh <laughs> but fuck how is that feeling dude when you're doing that and literally like you can't see the stencil you put it on there i used to do so many black panthers down in uh at the first shop that i worked at black panthers and tribal exactly uh on dark skin and there's sometimes like you said you can't see shit and you gotta it's almost like you have to rub Vaseline on that shit to see it. So it glistens underneath almost like a magnifying glass. <laughs> you know, then you can like, oh, okay, here's the line. I'm going to just pull this line from here to here. And then I'll fucking deal with the next line. Exactly. Like I was having a panic attack. Like, holy shit. I have no, I hope this line connects to that line when I'm done. <laughs> Dude, I did that shit on a, when I first tattooed. Um, and guys, this is not shit. This is hopefully you have motherfuckers looking out for you that this shit is not happening to you. If you're first starting to tattoo, this is why you go get an apprenticeship at a legit apprenticeship that where somebody's going to be looking over your shoulder and helping you out and fucking keeping you on point. Because even with my apprenticeship, I did some shit. I got myself into some shit that I should not have gotten myself into. You know, I think I said it last podcast, but the fucking Celtic armbands, like at, at a month of tattooing, you know, and I fucking wiping those stencils off going, oh, shit. I, there was a point where I, I remember there was uh, that, the earlier apprentice that I was talking about that made it look like I was encroaching on his territory or whatever. We ended up becoming really good friends, and uh, I don't ever, I rarely see him anymore, but when I do, it's like an, an, an old friend. And uh, there was one, at one point, we were supposed to be making needles one day for maybe for people who aren't in the tattoo world. The needles that you get tattooed by, it's multiple single needles for, uh, uh, soldered together. Together to, to form a, a needle for for doing different types of tattooing for outlining shading and whatever so uh the girl next door who works at the mexican food shop comes in and says hey i got these morphine pills you guys want to have one and at this time we're like we're partying a lot we're drinking all the time doing drugs and shit and so i had never done morphine uh not or heroin or or I guess I probably had some sort of pill form opiates at that at that point. I for sure had, I guess, with like Vicodin and Valiums and those sorts of things. Uh, but never anything that strong. So I asked my my buddy was going to take one. I was like, all right, well, he was like, dude, it's no problem. I've had them before. Like, it's no big deal. And so I was like, all right, well, and I have kind of a high tolerance to those to like pill drugs. Like I never get too affected by it. I kind of have a high tolerance as it is. Um, but so anyway, I was like, yeah, fuck it. I'll take it. So I take it. Shit gets 
fucking wonky. My homeboy, who says it's no big deal, straight passes out at his station. He At this point, he had already gone through his apprenticeship and was tattooing more regularly now. He was about six months ahead of me, maybe right at five months ahead of me. And he passes the fuck out, like, lays his head down on his station and goes to sleep. Now, we're in a functioning tattoo shop, mind you. Like, we're open. Doors are open to the public. What time of the day, like... It was in the evening. It was towards like, the end. It was like six, seven. It was, <laughs> and so I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to make some fucking needles. So I'm trying to, you know, these needles are super tiny. It's like people like threading a, a thread through a, a needle, like that type of like fine finger work. And you have all these little uh, uh, tool guides for making different needles and shit. So I ended up making this like, like seven, eight needle, like shading, like monstrosity. I tried to put these things together and it ended up looking like I, for there's a thing called a fan brush in painting that like nature painters use all the time. It looks like a full fan, like a Chinese, like a Japanese fan out. Yeah. I made this needle that just all the needles spread out all funky here. And I must have put together like six or seven needles attached to bars that look like that. Those they, you know, those uh, the Bob Ross type shit where he makes the Bob Rosses make it. Anybody want to fucking Google some Bob Ross shit on YouTube? Watch how that motherfucker makes uh, pine trees, and he's just like. So I made all this whole fucking series of fucked up shit that I actually didn't even really remember making the next day, but I. It fucking rocked me. So I like broke my buddy's balls. Like, what the fuck, guy? You passed out over in the corner. I had to stay up and make all these needles because boss man was coming in the next day and expected a whole series of needles, you know, ready to go for the next day. Turns out he ended up using one of them, the like fanned out like crazy fucking heroin needles. And it ended up working really good. Like surprisingly, like it packed color in like crazy fast and did some like weird shading technique that had never worked before. <laughs> but that was the type of shit that we would get into. And it was like, okay, we're doing morphine today or like, Hey, we got some fucking mushrooms and the night is going to get weird or whatever, you know, it's fucking such a weird lifestyle at that point. But well, you know what I learned the most from that fucking time period was that I wanted to be the fuck out of there and be at my own studio painting all the time. And I made that decision then. Yeah, you were just like, fuck this. And at that point, did you know any other fucking really good tattooers or did that come later? Like, I mean, I guess I only... I knew other good tattooers and I saw like this like dead end wall. Like I felt like I, like I said, I, I didn't have the foresight to see the improvement ability. And you know, even at that time, San Diego's covered in tattoo shops, like tattoo shops everywhere. Like I knew that I was in one of the more higher level areas for tattoos. And it was like, well, I look like I'm going to be a small fish in a big fucking pond. Like the, the amount of talent and uh, competition pool was fucking tremendous. I was like, yeah. I think I could be a better painter and not have, and you know, part of it was being in that environment. It was really stressful. Like you didn't know, like there was like 
fights happened every other day, you know, like you never knew when you were going to have to defend yourself. You never knew what crazy person was going to come in. Like, like there was a moment like midway through, you know, and I felt like at this point I was like apprenticed and apprentice and shop manager, you know, like played both of those fucking roles among amongst other like dog walker and all that sort of shit. Right, bill payer and and uh, car washer and uh, gutter cleaner. So, like, at some point, the there was a, a dude that wanted the shop before our owner got it, and uh, so like I was like dealing with people who were coming in who were not happy with the shop owner. The there was always like infighting. It was, it was fucking a crazy time, and I felt like how could that not encompass the whole of this situation like i couldn't see it not you know which uh, unfortunately at that time uh i was wrong you know like there's a lot of cool fucking places you know a lot of cool people still in tattooing and i don't know whatever happened to that guy that that taught he taught me a lot like as much as it was tough to deal with it was uh, like I, i fucking learned a lot about life even like yeah yeah you go through that time and it's like i would imagine i mean that's with every part of your life you know you're learning new shit and learning how to figure you know figure out how to better deal with people and and shit like that but um how fucking different is it is it today i mean you spend some fucking time in tattoo shops today and it's excuse me it's like uh you've been getting tattooed by a lot of fucking good dudes um for a while now i think and how is it? How does that change your perspective on what the fuck you went through back in the day? It's night and day, man. It's totally two very different worlds. I mean, I know that some of that bravado and tough guyness still exists in the tattoo world, and like, but it's so much like shops are so much more inviting now. Like they're places of business. I think the fact that the art form in and of itself has been much more accepted over the last i know it's been a long gradual acceptance but even like the last five to ten years has been very different from the five years before that like it's growing exponentially like it's now more rare to see somebody without tattoos than to see somebody with tattoos you yeah. know like not it's doesn't have the shock value anymore i mean my hands are all covered in tattoos and nobody even flinches about it like it's not it's not a big deal yeah i was at the i was at the dog park yesterday running the dog around with uh with the wife and there was one other dude there who uh i got in a conversation with um he's an older older guy probably like i mean he's got to be in his late late 50s you know and early 60s and he was a ex state par- parole agent, you know, and and we just were chopping it up. And he wasn't surprised by the fact that most of the people he knows, you know, you got a guy that was, uh, you know, dealt in parole for for thirty plus years for the state of California, um, you know, a typical conservative conservative has his uh, you know, glass of red merlot red red wine every night you know uh and he's not surprised in the least you know and he was fucking saying that his his uh was it his daughter-in-law or his daughter or some shit had a 
oh, what the fuck character was it? Um, she got a, a, a tattoo of, I want to say it was like some Disney character or some, and he was just rolling his fucking eyes like, you know, oh my God, like Disney character. And it's always like, you know, those, those uh, plump girls want the fucking Tinkerbell and it's weird shit, man. Still surprising though, which and is is unfortunate as accepted as tattoos are now, and as as popular or you know as populous as they are, like amongst all different classes and groups of people. We I still go to Starbucks, and those motherfuckers make them like cover up their arms if they have tattoos. Like I did this big like photo Facebook social insta uh, Instagram social media like rant about. Uh, two of the people at Starbucks that I go to that they had to wear like a bandage over their arm and it looked like they had a cut, right? Like it looked like they had some sort of skin damage of some sort. Like they was gauze wrapped up and like looked like they were injured. And I felt like the fact that Starbucks feels like their employees need to cover up their tattoos means that they're in some way uh, ashamed of them and don't want to show their consuming consuming public that their employees have these things on them. Which is and weird because most of their consuming public has those tattoos as well. One out of every four motherfuckers walking in there to buy that uh, overpriced latte has a tattoo. So, you know what? I agree. I don't know what the fuck they're doing. Like, why are these big companies not just saying, you know what? Express yourself how you're going to express yourself. And if you have the fucking talent to do this job, you know, not not that it takes a lot of talent to do it, you know, to pull coffee and shit. But you know what? Some motherfuckers take that serious and good for fucking them. And you know what? They can express themselves and pull that shot and make that drink and um, be happy that they can be in a place in an environment that they're working, that they can be themselves. Why do you have to fucking stifle somebody from being themselves? Like... That's that's one of the most ignorant and close-minded and selfish things that you can do. And that's what we find. I think that there's still as as accepted it is as it has become, there's still a lot of really fucking judgmental assholes out there who who like I feel it occasionally like the way somebody judges you like I guarantee you people's perception of me is for somebody who doesn't know me can be night and day from how I look on the outside compared to who I am, like uh, personality wise, like there can be, there's a lot of room to be misconstrued. And I think a lot of people still see the tattoos and the frown and they're like, Oh, the fucking uh, hoodlum. Well, and that's exactly it. You know, I had to get into this conversation with this parole agent who probably thought, you know, I had, uh, been, you know, been one of his clients back in the day, you know, because of the way I look. But once I articulate myself to the guy and say, yeah, I do this and I do this and it's, and you know, he has an interesting conversation with me. Well, all of a sudden, you know, his, his possible thought that I was some, something other than what he, you know, what I am goes away because he's like, oh, wow, this guy's articulate and he can, you know, he's, he's fun to talk to and, and he's just like me, you know what I mean? He's got a dog and, and he's fucking got a family and shit and he's trying to just make fucking life happen. You know, not everybody that's walking around there looking a certain way just cause you got a fucking Sons of Anarchy shirt on don't mean you're a fucking badass biker, bitch, you know? 
That's you know, there's I I just realized that there's this um there's this this beauty in art, this the uh, beauty that comes from art that I just like I I sort of sensed when I was working on this mural just this last week at this design firm. Um and partly it's the creation of art that seems to amaze people who aren't necessary. It seems to amaze all people, right? Like it even still amazes me. Like I look at something and be like, oh shit, I just made that. Like it's it, each new thing. Like I, I get a little bit of amazement from it. And like, I noticed that it was all different types of people too. So like the people who hired me to come in and do this painting on their wall, you know, they're in the art world, they're in design and marketing. They have an appreciation of art and maybe like the, the owner collects a couple of my pieces or whatever. They appreciate it on a certain level. Then there's the dudes that are in there who like, so they're the, office I painted in they're they're moving into it so they're doing a bunch of renovations and shit so there was um like uh carpenters in there there was some glass worker guys in there and every single one of them stopped to check out what I was doing because they were checking out the process and like getting amazed that there was some like big function or non-functional really but to you know maybe a mind function but uh just somebody's doing this creative piece of that they're able to witness some of the steps to and sort of get a personal interaction with. So I think with tattooing that there's a very personal interaction because we're kind of showing it to the public, even though a lot of, for me specifically, and I imagine for other people that you get tattoos for yourself, but you're also kind of getting them to be like, here's me, here's, here's a little bit of myself. And so there's an amazement I think for the viewer, right, a, a sort of level of of uh, of something different from the regular mundane things of life, like something there's something different than come that comes from art that all people pick up on on some level. So like the fucking Mexican dude that was putting the glass in, and like the the like sort of like college football watching, like beer drinking. Uh, door installers every one of them was like oh man that's fucking really cool that you're doing this thing and it's i i hadn't really noticed it or remembered it in a long time like because sometimes i get jaded right because i'm just like fuck i'm making things to sell shit and like to get people to know who i am and make this mark on the the world like i've been here before leave a fucking american flag on it (laughs) and without even really trying you connect to these people and and, it, and it's everybody. And I realized that that's part of the beauty of making things is that you connect people, you back to that transference of energy. It's like giving back to they, people get something from see, particularly seeing something be made. And I think that that's a part of the, the connection between a tattooer and a person getting tattooed is that the person getting tattooed gets to see that thing being made like all the way through the process. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, a, it's missing in art, like in, in art is the ability to see something being made because it's always a secret. Yeah. Like in painting, like you don't want anybody to know the secrets to tricking people's eye. And that's what I told the people that were watching me paint. I was like, this is all just to trick you into thinking that it's curved and and 
has depth and and shape and form. It's all flat. It's just color on other color that's flat to trick your eye. Look, man, and it's you know what? It's the same shit that they probably learned in school in like second and third grade and and through you know when they had to do perspective and shading studies and shit like that. I mean, now a lot of the fucking art programs are being cut now, which is bullshit. But um, you know, back in the day, I remember doing all that shit, doing landscape painting. You know, landscape. Uh, watercolors and landscape sketches and and uh, shading sketches and shit like that and you know shading the circle uh, you know to make it look like it's actually round or, and that's all shit that people know about and maybe that's why they're intrigued by it you know you think <clears throat> like as you started saying that where art has an impact on everybody and maybe people don't even realize that it's having an impact on them, but try to think of a place that you go to on a daily basis that doesn't have something hanging on this wall, whether it's the real estate office, it's Starbucks, it's the, their walls aren't plain, you know, they, it has one of my paintings hanging up in it. Where, what has, that I go to, it has one of my paintings hanging up in it. No shit. That's tight. We did a, a, a trade, did a painting for their lobby. Uh, or, you know, like the little dining area of a coffee plant. And I got free espresso for six months. Fuck, I'm going to have to try to do that shit. I like free espresso. They ended up getting in trouble, though, from corporate. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck corporate. But they were like, because I guess the way that they had to type it in, like how, the way that they would do the register, it was like they had to hit 165 buttons to give me a free espresso. And I think eventually it kept showing that, like, Fuck, every day you guys are giving away a free espresso. What the fuck is going on over there? They broke the balls, but I got my six months of free espresso. That was good. Yeah, man. Well, fucking A, dude. That's uh, that's the hustle right there. You know, why the fuck should... I used to work in a restaurant way back in the day, right? And they had certain music that they could play. And that was it. You know, for some reason, it had to be from a certain label or it had to be... I don't know what the what it was, but... I just remember thinking, like, why why can't they just play, like, some Neil Young? Why can't they play some, you know, Rocky Erickson if they want or some Miles Davis? Like, I don't know. These are all uh, really good musicians. And it goes the same. Like, why can't Starbucks, a local Starbucks, you know, even though it's owned by a corporate entity, why can't they have some sort of program to reach out to local artists like yourself and... um connect on a local level isn't i mean in my opinion that's going to bring more people in there and f- make people feel more connected to that fucking place that's what it was too which was really cool that the the head manager there had set this up because at the time they were doing the, that um like get america back to work program which was like selling bracelets for something which was seemed silly or whatever but he was like well i want to do something because we don't have a budget for any like decorations in here besides then so maybe we could actually put somebody local a local artist to work you know and and save not only they gave me some money too so i got money and and uh, free espresso so for six months so like fuck they, yeah man money. but then of course corporate jumps on them at the end which shows how it you know unfortunately that's the difference between you know private like private owned business and corporate owned business where the bottom line is the is the end goal no matter what yeah no pro yeah it's it's fucking pretty crazy oh, I'm, I'm sorry i cut you off well go ahead 
I would say it's good for people to use their dollars wisely and put them into those places where you see an effect, you know? Like yeah. just to you know it's a Starbucks, like just that effort shows that I I feel like I want to I want to put I want to spend my dollars where people are are, are looking out for me too, you know, at the same yeah. time on, on some level, you know, they don't know me anything, but if they're willing to go that extra mile then I I'm I want to support them with my business. Yeah, absolutely, man. And you know what? Fuck it. You know, let's let's do that. That's where it begins is starting to support people on a local level and and uh, support your local artists. Uh, and you know what? Support your artists from across the country too. If you like some shit that they got going on, fucking buy that shit. You can get it shipped to you. You know, support. Uh, you know, Mike. I want to thank you for coming on, dude. I got to cut out. Um, I got another meeting to go to and shit, but. Uh, Thank you for coming on. If anybody's interested, go fucking follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Maxwell Art on Instagram, MikeMaxwellArt.com. Go buy his paintings, listen to his podcast, get that shit on Stitcher, just like you can get the Joe Swanson Propaganda podcast on Stitcher. And let's start supporting each other. And, uh, you know, come get tattooed, buy paintings, uh, and just promote that positivity and, and help each other out. So thanks, Mike. I appreciate it, dude. Yeah, Joe, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. All right, brother. Take care. All right. Thanks.